Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is March 4, and our scripture for today is Joshua chapter 2. Well, it's beginning to get excited. The scripture starts out in chapter 2 saying that Joshua has now sent out two men, not twelve, just two. He learned from the twelve. But he sent out two faithful men from the Acacia Grove. Now, this would have been a bit back from the Jordan itself, if you do not know the topography of the land. The Jordan River really starts at Mount Hermon at the foot of it. Mount Hermon is 9,200 feet above sea level up in northern Israel. Three rivers come together, the Sneer, which comes out of Lebanon, and then you have the Dan River, which is the major tributary, and then you have the Banyas. That's what it's called, the Banyas, B-A-N-A-S. And those three make up the Yarden, the Yarden, the Jordan. And it runs all the way down from the foot of Mount Hermon through the Hula Valley into the Sea of Galilee. And that Diluvian fan you can still see today when you're up on the mountains around the Sea of Galilee. Remember, the Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake on the planet at uh, nearly 700 feet below the Mediterranean Sea. And so it runs in around where Bethsaida, the ancient village of the hunter, house of the hunter. And that's where five of the disciples came from. So this is familiar territory to us. And then 14 miles later at the southern end of the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River begins its deep descent to the Dead Sea from which it does not come out except through evaporation. It is the lowest point on earth. So from the foot of Mount Hermon, which is very high, down to the lowest point on earth, 1,300 feet below sea level, you have a great crack in the earth. Now, on the eastern side of that great divide is the land of Bashan to the north. Then you have another canyon called the Yarmouk, and that Yarmouk River divides the Bashan as you're headed south on the eastern side from the land of Gilead. Then you have the Jabuk, the Jabuk as we call it, and it is another canyon. Then you begin again a little bit more the land of Gilead, and then farther south it turns into Moab, to Moab. And that is where the children of Israel were camped. 
Now, just behind them and to the east is an absolute sheer range of mountains that just goes almost straight up, and you have to find a way up through a canyon or through a pass. And that's the way the children of Israel would have come from the King's Highway up above down to the valley floor, and that's where they were camped. Now, you would be facing toward the Mediterranean Sea, but what you would be seeing is another western ridge, and on top of that ridge would be Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You would have Bethlehem five miles south of that, Hebron about 20 miles south of that. To the north, you would have Ramah, and then you would have Gibeon and all of those uh, places all in that area. And then farther north, you would have Bethel, and then you would have Shiloh. All of that is looking and staring at you right in front of you because you're on the valley floor. Now, at the foot of the mountain that you're looking across from the mountains, you would see a city that's set into a dry, arid land because all the land that low is very low. It is subtropical. It's very hot in the summertime, very nice for a couple of months during the winter. But that is where in that dry, arid land you have the oasis of Jericho. It is debated whether it is the oldest city in the world that is still in existence. But it is a very old place. There was a village there already and a city there. It was like a city-state. It had its own walls, had its own king, it had its own leader. It was a stronghold because it controlled the fords just north of there where you would cross the Jordan River. Now, you have to understand that down through this valley over the centuries, the Jordan River had carved a deep, deep ravine. And even though the Jordan River there outside of flood stage is normally about, oh, 7 to 12 to 15 feet normally, many people still baptize there. I've baptized there many times. But at flood stage, some would say that it would be over 100 feet. But the reality is it could have been up to a quarter of a mile wide because it would have been at flood stage. And the Bible says it was, and I believe that. And so the river would have been very deep. It would have been very swift. And so they're camped alongside of that. They have plenty of water. They are under the shade trees of these broom trees, these acacia trees, also called in the older versions the shatim trees. We call them shittim here in the south. But the shatim trees are a, another name for the acacia. And so they were there and they were sent out by Joshua because it was time to move. Remember in chapter one, God said, arise and enter the land. And so Joshua was preparing to do that. He was obeying the Lord. So the scripture says, so they went and they came into the house of a harlot. Now, why would they do that? Well, for two reasons. Number one, it was secure Number two, it was secretive. You remember this was a harlot, so a lot of people didn't want others to know that they went there, so it would have been in a place that would have been somewhat out of the way, even though it would have had a lot of access. It wouldn't have been on the main thoroughfare. It would have been off the beaten path back along the wall, and that's exactly where it was. And so we know that because of what happens later in the chapter. And so that's what they did. 
did, and they went there and they stayed all night. Well, as is the case, uh, someone said, hey, there's some visitors there. Why? Because there's always people sitting at the gate, and there would have been a lot of people coming and going, but it would have been people that would have primarily been familiar to the city elders, so they realized that there were a couple of guys, no matter how they tried to blend in, they were different. They were walking with a different stride. They were looking different. They were holding their heads up straight. They had marks. Somehow they knew these people were different. And so it was told the king of Jericho that men had come in and they'd gone to the harlot's house, Rahab. She probably wasn't the only one, but she was notable saying, bring these people out to me, for they have come in to spy out the land. Because you see, these people were jumpy. They were already nervous about what was, remember, there were between one and two million people camped on the hillsides just on the other side of the Jordan, and all that was separating them was the land, and it was at flood stage, remember? And so they had had to walk up for a good ways to find a place to cross, and so they did. There's the ford just north of there where they normally would have crossed and it would have been the easiest place and so that's what they did. But they were found out and so the woman took the two men and she said, you have come to me, you need to understand that you're about to be caught so after the gates shut I'll get you out of here but right now you need to go up on the roof I've got some flax drying up there because I'm going to make some material out of it. That's what flax was, the stalks were used for. They would pound it out and make what we would call linen today, something very much like that. And so they went up there and hid, and she lied to the men. You say, oh, my, my, my word, she lied. And why didn't God do something to her? The same reason he doesn't do something to you when you lie. Aren't you glad that when you lie, you deceive others and you do it all the time? Don't say you don't. You do it in your words, in your deeds, in your facial expressions, in your actions. You see, lying is deceiving. We do it many times. We've got such a habit of it that we don't do it. Now, if I've just offended you, I've got one word for you. Repent. And so then as you go through this, you will see that God blesses not because of what we do that is not right, that is sin, that is evil, that is outside the boundaries of his plan for our lives. God blesses not because of that, but in spite of it. And so that's exactly what he did. And so after the men had left, she sent them on a wild goose chase. They immediately followed her. They didn't feel like she She had any reason to tell them anything other than the truth. And so immediately the scripture says that she got the men together and said, now, look, you've scared this entire nation because we understand that there is a supernatural force with you. That's what she was telling them. But she said, I know it is Hashem. And she spoke the name of the Lord. She called his name out. They knew that everybody knew that this was what we call and who we call Yahweh. And so you'll see the word in verse 10 is all caps. So she called out the name of the God of the Jews, not her God. And she said, we know what you've done. We know what you've done to Og and Sihon. 
our hearts have melted. And so she said, now, therefore, I beg you, this verse 12, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also show me kindness into my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver us from death. And before you get too hard on Rahab, God knows the heart. There's no excuse for harlotry, but she may have been trying to take care of her mom or dad, her family, her brothers, her sisters. We don't know what the situation is. We don't know. They may have had some kind of special needs we don't know about. There was a lot of that in those days. Here was Rahab, and she had been reduced to selling herself, or at least that's what she felt like. And I tell you, whatever the case is, she trusted the God of the Bible. How do we know that? Because the Scripture says that when they left there, that they made a pact with her and made a covenant with her, and she let them down by scarlet thread, by scarlet rope, by material that she had been working on, no doubt, because she was already drying more flax for more material to make into ropes and other things. And so the scripture says in verse 18 that she let them down and it doesn't say what kind of rope she let them down with except in verse 18. Unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down. So the signal was going to be a scarlet thread. It was going to be a scarlet rope. There again is that crimson thread. There again is that crimson rope. There again is the scarlet ribbon, the crimson river that runs from one end to the other. And so the scripture says that she told them what to do. And it's interesting that she said, go to the mountains. Now, she was not talking about the mountains where they had come from back behind them on the east. They went the opposite direction of what the people of Jericho thought they would go. They went toward the fords and toward the river. But she wisely sent them toward the mountains. In other words, they had to go west, not back east where they needed to go. And so what a wise woman she was. And they obeyed her. Thank God that they did. I'm glad they weren't like a lot of silly men today that would say, well, you know, I don't know. She's a woman. Do we need to take advice from her? Of course you do. She's a lot wiser than anyone else that's in this story. And so here is exactly what they did. They went up in the mountains. I've been up in those mountains many times. There's a lot of things that go on in those mountains. So they went up there and hid. And from the mountains, you can see men coming and going from Jericho. You can see people coming in and out. And so they waited until the proverbial coast was clear. And then they made their way back to Joshua and told them the story. Now, Rahab was delivered, we're going to see. But isn't it amazing that God took a Gentile woman, not a Jewish woman. There are four women that are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. One of them is named Rahab. One is Tamar. And you know the story of that and her relationship playing the harlot with Judah. And Judah said she was more righteous than he was. Then you have Ruth, beloved Ruth. We'll get into that story very soon as we tell the great story of God, as we walk out through and beside this crimson river and gaze in. And then you will see the story of the one that was the wife of Uriah the Hittite. As a matter of fact, Bathsheba is just called her, the one who is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Why? Because God wanted to honor Uriah. Uriah was a Hittite. He was not a Jew. 
It's amazing to me, down through the lineage of Jesus, when you read David's mighty men, many of those people are mercenaries. They're not Jews. Can you believe that? God would use hired killers. God would use harlots. God would use Gentile people that are not part of the covenant people. You know why he did that? Because he is the God of the whole earth. We must never forget that as we walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.